0: Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the existence of this holy Bible. You did not have to give us these words, but in your grace and your mercy, you gave us a way to know you. Every answer that we will need for living a life that is righteous in your sight is contained in this Word And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, not through the foolish ramblings of some silly preacher, God, but that you would speak to us through the power of your perfect and holy word. God, that I might decrease and you might increase. That you would convict all of us, challenge all of us, motivate all of us, remind all of us. And that we might still be amazed by the grace that we see in this text. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the Old Testament book of First Samuel. First Samuel, right there towards the beginning of the Bible. If you hit Second Samuel, you went too far. You, you're one Samuel too many. Just take one Samuel away and you'll be right where you're supposed to be. You can take your own copy of God's Word. If you didn't happen to bring one with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's there in front of you. Or if you don't have one on your own at home, you can take that one from the pew and keep it as our gift to you. We'll put a new one in the pew. But regardless of how you're accessing the Word of the Lord, whether it's on a phone or a tablet in a book or on the screen. If you're physically able, I would ask, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? We're going to look together at first Samuel chapter seven, and we will be reading verses three through 14. I'll read for us. And when I've completed, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond with a hearty. Thanks be to God. Let's look now at first Samuel Chapter 7, beginning in verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So, The people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now... When the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb. "...and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel." And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this place in the Word of the Lord, in 1 Samuel, and what's been happening up to this point is we're still coming out of the time of the judges. Technically, Samuel is one of the last, if not the last, judge of Israel. So if you'll remember with me, we were in Exodus about a year ago. And in Exodus, we studied how the Israelites were freed from Egyptian captivity. They wandered in the wilderness. And then Joshua, beginning in the book of Joshua, leads them into the promised land. But they do not conquer all of the promised land. They do not drive out all of the nations that God tells them to drive out. And so they're left with a lot of influence from people who worship false gods, from people who worship these idols that are not gods. And so that infiltrates into Israel's time of worship. They are one nation, but they have not yet captured all the territory that God promised to them. And so you go through the book of Judges and over and over again, you have this refrain that everybody did what they thought was right in their own Eyes. Nobody consulted with the Lord. Nobody consulted with the prophets. They just did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And it leads Israel through this crazy cycle of being captured and delivered and captured and delivered and captured and delivered. And so right before this arises, we hear of a guy named Eli and he is judging Israel and his sons are very wicked and evil. And so there's this woman who is desperate to have a child named Hannah. She begs the Lord for a child and makes a promise that, Lord, if you'll give me a child, then I will give the first child back to you. And so that is how we're introduced to Samuel. We learn a little bit about Samuel and he's called into service and the Lord speaks to him. You remember the story we spoke about it a few weeks back of Samuel hearing the voice of the Lord and going to Eli and saying, yes, what is it, Eli? And him saying, I didn't call for you. He says, if you hear it again, then I want you to say, yes, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And that's when the Lord began to speak to Samuel. Well, then we don't hear a lot about Samuel for like 20 years, but we hear what happens to Eli and to his sons in that 20 year gap where we don't hear a lot about the prophet Samuel. A lot of bad stuff happens in Israel. They go to war with the Philistines. And if you've been to Sunday school in your life, you've probably heard of the Philistines. That's where Goliath came from. He was a Philistine. And so there's all this constant war and conflict between Israel and the Philistines throughout history. And the Philistines won and they won big. And so Israel says, we got an ace up our sleeve. We're going to go and get the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments are inside and the staff of Aaron is inside. And, and God's presence is with that Ark. We'll bring the Ark with us to the battlefield and surely we will win if we just bring the Ark. They, they didn't seek to bring the Lord with them. They just sought to bring the Ark with them, a, a grave grave. Grave mistake. They didn't seek out the Lord and ask for his help. They just thought, we'll bring this ark, this monument with us, and and this will make a difference. And when they brought it out onto the battlefield, they got beat even worse. The first battle, they lost 4,000 fighting men. The second battle, with the ark, they lost 30,000 soldiers. 30,000 soldiers soldiers it was so bad that when the battle was over they didn't go and muster up again they everybody it says every man went to their own home that was left have you ever been beat so bad in a sports event of any kind that you you didn't even want to get back on the bus you just went got back in the car with your mom and dad or got in your own car and just drove yourself home we got spanked so awful i can't look at the rest of my team right now i just got to go home that's what happened to israel Not only that, but the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. The symbol of God's presence, the Ten Commandments, all the great stuff, their their commemoration of how God brought them out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into this land. And now the Philistines have all of it. So they take it. And let's just pretend for a second that this pulpit is their statue to their false god named Dagon. And they put the Ark of the Covenant in front of Dagon. Well, the next morning when they come to see what's going on, they notice that Dagon has fallen over and smashed a bit of his nose off. And so they, they pick him up. They, they patch him up. <laughs> Dagon, man, <laughs> he must have tripped through the night. I don't, I don't know what happened, but, you know, we'll just, we'll just set you back up. Everything will be fine. They believe that this statue is the physical manifestation of their God. They're worshiping this statue. And so they have to pick it back up and and get it set right. Then the next day they come back, it's fallen over and its head fell off. And they're like, you know what? Maybe we should move this whole Ark of the Covenant thing. I I don't know. We want to be messing with Israel's God like this. So then they take it to another town. And in that town, all sorts of plagues start to break out. And then they remember the plagues in Egypt. So then they take it to a few other towns. And every town they stop in, they're like, hey, guys, what's going on? Is this the, this the, no, 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 no. That's the Ark of Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. Just keep on moving. Keep, and then the one town that takes it. Every man in the town grows these random tumors all over their body, not boils, not hives. They're not itching. It's not gnats. It's not frogs. It's tumors. They break out with cancer in the whole town. I mean, if this was today, Aaron Brockovich would be going and filing a lawsuit. Is what I'm talking about. Everybody got cancer because the Ark of the Covenant was there in the town. And so they make up their mind. This is it. <laughs> we done. Wash our hands of this thing. Our gods are no match for their God. And so they send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. And that's when we find out about Samuel again. In all this fighting, Eli has passed away, so have his sons. And now Samuel takes up the mantle of being the prophet. And he begins to call Israel to repentance. And in the process of calling them to repentance, it scares the Philistines. This is like an ancient version of the Cold War. You recognize what happens. They come together not to fight a war. They come together to repent and turn back to the Lord and ask for God's favor. Because they've lost the Ark of the Covenant. It just came back. And look, now that we've got it back, we've got to do right. We've got to follow the Lord and the Lord only. Somebody call the prophet. Get Samuel over here. we got to have a service to repent and do right. And so that's what they do. And all of Israel gathers to Samuel. But when the Philistine spies and scouts see that all of Israel's gathered together, they go back and report. Listen, let me tell you, all of Israel is gathered together. They've got an army amassed and they're getting ready to fire their nuclear warheads. We got to build some of our own. So they decide they're going to take a preemptive strike. And so Samuel's not a military leader. Samuel, as a judge, is, is not the guy leading them into battle. Samuel is a prophet. He is a man of God, and he is not the one that goes and leads the fight, so he offers a lamb, and God delivers them. It's not because Samuel was a brilliant military leader. It's not because they were outnumbering the Philistines. It was because God recognized the repentance of his people and saved them from the hands of the Philistines. So what we read in, in chapter 7, verses 3 through 14, is the climax of that story where God delivers his people from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace throughout all the region after this great battle. And it was so incredible that between Mizpah and Shin, we, fir- we find this term. One of the first times that we see this term in all the Bible Ebenezer. Ebenezer. There were people naming their kids Ichabod. God is no longer with us. And now we've gone from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a very simple Hebrew phrase. It just means stone of help. And so Samuel takes this huge stone and sets it up as a monument. And he says, up until this point, our God has been gracious to us. Our God has helped us, and we've only made it to this point by God's grace and mercy and help. It is only with God's help we have come this far. So that everybody that passes by that stone as they're traveling through Israel, they'll go, what is that stone? What does that rock mean? And the elders will answer and say, that rock is there to remind us that we've only come this far by God's grace. By God's mercy. It's just stone of help. It commemorates the place where Yahweh, the Lord God, helped Israel. And see, this is something that is not new to Scripture, but calling it an Ebenezer stone, this is the first reference to Ebenezer stone. They can mark territorial boundaries or tombs. They could put stones anywhere, but there were 12 tribes of Israel would set up stones all along the way. We see Abraham do it. We see Isaac do it, commemorating how God showed up. And now we have a name for it. It's an Ebenezer stone. In Genesis 31 and Genesis 35 and Exodus 24 and Second Samuel 18, over and over and over again, we see these stones that are set up. Another time that is incredibly powerful Israel's history is when God makes all the water stand up in a heap and the Israelites cross the Jordan on dry ground and as they're crossing in Joshua chapter 4, Joshua tells 12 men, one from each tribe, go get an enormous smooth stone out of the bed of the Jordan and set it up as a monument on this side of the Jordan so that every time somebody asks us what are these 12 stones, we can say God stopped up the waters of the Jordan and we walked across on dry Ground. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as their toes touched the water, it all stood up in a heap. And they made stones to commemorate it. So maybe you've sung through, come thou fount of every blessing. And you, you, you've hit that part, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I have come. That's, that's what Ebenezer is all about. It's about a monument. It's about commemorating what God has done, what God is doing God has brought us thus far, and I am only at this place in my life because God has been merciful and gracious and kind to me. And, and you know, at, at Bethany, our buildings are, are kind of our commemorative stones. A lot of our buildings are, are Ebenezer stones. Stones they recount our history, and so I actually want to give you a little excerpt okay i 've got a copy of an old Bethany directory. I scanned it and I tried to get it where you could see it, but don 't worry worry i 'm going to read it for us. I know you probably can 't read it up there very well it 's hard to get the words to do, right, but this is from two thousand and three for over one hundred and forty five years, Bethany Baptist Church has been a church home for many families in the Andalusia and Heath area. Bethany was organized in 1857, just 34 years after the Alabama Baptist State Convention was founded. One year later, Bethany became a member of the Zion Baptist Association, now called the Covington Baptist Association. Over these 145 years, Bethany has seen many changes. For example, the membership of our church has grown. Our records indicate that we had an enrollment of 89 people in 1902, in the year 1902. Presently, we have over 600 members in our church. Because of our growth over the years, our buildings have had to change. In the early 1800s, Bethany met in a wooden structure on the same property as where we are now. It's recorded in past histories of our church that these wooden structures were very unstable and would lean as much as a foot to the east or west, according to which way the wind was blowing. Now, I know that this roof is one of the noisiest roofs on the face of the planet, all right? And I know that in the summer especially, you could be in here praying and and worshiping to the Lord, and it sounds like there's some raccoons wrestling up on this roof because it's just (laughs) But I can't imagine us being up here singing and the whole structure just leans a foot to the left and then the wind flips back the other way, just leans a foot to the right. I think we got a pretty good sanctuary these days. If, if they didn't break out and leaning on the everlasting arms when the, when the sanctuary started leaning, they just wasn't doing church right. I'm just telling you. But that's those were the early structures. They were very unstable. The pews in these first structures were made of wooden slats, rough and unpainted, rough. And unpainted. They made sure to put that word "rough" in there. Now I know that maybe these are not perfectly upholstered all the all the time. There may be a a tear here and there in our pews right now, but I, I don't know that we would describe them as rough and unpainted. In 1949, the first brick building was constructed. Reverend Reuben B. Davis was pastor. In 1966, the educational building was added. So the old sanctuary over here was built in 1949. Then in 1966, they made it into a T and added the education building behind it. Downstairs is where our nursery is. That used to be their fellowship hall. So that was built in 1966. It included a fellowship hall and kitchen downstairs. Because of growth, once again, additional space... Was needed. In 1991, an addition to the sanctuary of the church was built. In 1993, the new pastorium was complete. So that extra space at the front of the sanctuary, where the restrooms are and the little staircase is, that was added on. So the steeple that's there now. Before this time in 1991, that was when the bell, if you can find a 1988 church directory, the bell that sits in front of the fellowship center was what was on top of the sanctuary over here. And all I can imagine is that when it was time for church, somebody pulled on the rope and said, sanctuary, ding, 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 like old school style. I mean, that happened like that's for real. That is our history as a church. They built and added on and put this new steeple and added the addition to the sanctuary. And then additional space was needed. The old pastorium was then used for youth functions. So then in April 2nd of the year 2000, they moved into a new 6,000 square foot family fellowship center. Hey guys, anybody here from the Building and Grounds Committee, if we ever need to know how many square feet that fellowship center is, again, 6,000 square feet is our answer according to an old directory. Just throwing that out there for fun. If we ever want to do anything there in this fellowship center, we held worship services. We held Sunday school, weekly family night meals, banquets, musicals, prayer meetings, and seminars on March 1st, 2001. We broke ground for our new worship center, moved into it January 27th, 2002. It includes a large worship center, choir room, and a bridal prayer room. Our worship center has a seating capacity of over 600. February 24th, 2002, we dedicated our new sanctuary. It is true that our church has experienced some growing pains over the last couple of years, but as history will attest, it is necessary to further the kingdom of God. Our biggest challenges lie ahead. As our church family did before us, we must do now grow. This is a small version of an Ebenezer. An Ebenezer stone for us to remember where we've been. We're not a young church plant that's only been here for four years. This church has existed in some capacity or another since 1857. I want you to think about what these pulpits represent up here. This was probably in those wooden buildings that would sway left and right. It's, it's only about 18 inches deep. And really, the, the feet of it are only about a foot deep because you didn't have a whole lot of space this way. So you didn't need a really deep pulpit because you needed as much space for people to cram in as possible. And for years, this served as the pulpit. There's roughly 39 different preachers in our over 150 years of existence that have stood behind some of these pulpits. Over 39 powerful men of God, prophets, holy men, who spoke the word of the Lord with authority and led our church and helped lead our church to stay together, kept the flock together. This pulpit sits out in the lobby as an Ebenezer stone for us to remember where we've been, so that when Ainsley looks at Matt and says, hey, Dad, what is that old rickety-looking pulpit doing in the lobby? Matt can go, baby, this church has been here for over 150 years. This pulpit has a lot of history of how God has delivered and sustained our church. Thus far, we have arrived, but only by God's help. This pulpit here was the first pulpit that was used in this new sanctuary that was dedicated February 24th, which happens to be my very birthday, on 2002. Now, I wasn't born in 2002. I I know I may look young, but I'm not that young, okay? It's a joke. I know I'm not young. It's all good. But February 24th, 2002, this is the pulpit that they stood behind to dedicate this sanctuary. It was specifically designed so that it would have a cross So that every preacher who stood behind this pulpit would be hidden behind the cross of Jesus Christ. So that the cross would be the focal point of the worship service. So that the cross of Jesus, not just the cross, but the cross that's empty. There ain't no body hanging on this cross. Because there ain't no body on that cross anymore. Because Jesus is alive and that's supposed to be an Ebenezer stone for us. A reminder that God has brought us thus far. And you may be wondering, well, all right, preacher, what's, what's this pulpit? This pulpit is my own personal Ebenezer stone. You see, this pulpit's very, very special to me. This is the pulpit that I sat on the other side of to listen to every influential preacher and pastor that has ever come across my life. When I felt like I needed to be baptized, Junior Hill The evangelist was standing behind this very pulpit and he explained what baptism was. And as an eight year old boy, I remember looking at this cross right here while he was telling me what it really means to be a Christian. And I got up during the invitation and I started pushing my dad. My dad said, son, what are you doing? I said, I got to go down there and be baptized. And he said, well, do you do you want me to go with you? I said, I don't care, but I've got to go and be baptized. It was in front of this pulpit that I stood and talked. With my pastor. Reginald Stokes, he served my home church for 33 years all in total. He came back many times as an interim, and the only time, the only pulpit that I remember Reginald Stokes preaching behind was as an interim behind this pulpit. Reginald Stokes loved the church. The church grew under him, and and I grew in faith. Under him, the pastors that were preaching, when I felt called into ministry, when I felt called to missions, when I felt called to be a pastor, I was on the other side of this pulpit. And I want you to know, my father-in-law found out that this pulpit was sitting in storage at my home church and he brought it up to the deacons. And my home church unanimously, with everyone's support, wanted to give this pulpit to me so that I might have the opportunity to use it as an Ebenezer stone. And just like people stood behind this pulpit and preached to me, I might have the privilege to stand behind this sacred desk and preach in this, my new home church. Folks, we have to have Ebenezer stones in our lives. This pulpit has so much value to me. I remember I remember the words that were spoken to me. I remember how God moved. I remember that I'm only where I am because God has brought me thus far. This is my Ebenezer. And I wonder, a lot of wonderful Ebenezers about our church collectively, but I wonder what are your Ebenezer stones? Do we as a people take time to make our own Ebenezer stones? We kind of live in a culture today where the most popular thing to do is to post it to your Instagram story or post it on Snapchat where it goes away after a day. We've become such a fleeting society. Somebody helped me out years ago, but what have you done for me today? What have you done for me in the last five minutes? God delivered me and saved my soul. I deserve to die and go to hell and burn for all eternity. But God, what have you done for me today? What have you done for me right now? That's why Samuel set up the Ebenezer stone. That's why Joshua took the stones out of the river and set them up in a monument so that the people of Israel would not forget that Yahweh is the one true God. And it's only by his help that we've come thus far because we are a right now today culture. I don't care what you did for me yesterday, God. I don't remember what you did for me yesterday, God. What have you done for me today? What are you going to do for me tomorrow? And we need Ebenezer stones in our lives. We need to take time to commemorate what God is doing to remember that we're not self-made people. This church is not held together because there were a group of men who just by their bootstraps just duct taped it together and held on for dear life. It's because God and his Holy Spirit moved and held the church together for over 150 years. And if you're here and you're a part of this flock in this congregation right now, you have 150 years of God's provision that you're standing on. The seats that you're sitting in are cushioned and comfortable and not rough, made of slats. The building's not swaying because God sustained and grew His church. And so how are you commemorating how God is sustaining and growing you? What are you doing to remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And that He has delivered in the past which proves he will deliver in the future. What are your Ebenezer stones? What are you doing to commemorate God's work in your life? There's one more Ebenezer stone I want to draw our attention to as we close this morning. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Now this stone isn't necessarily described as an Ebenezer stone. You have to use a little bit of a sanctified imagination if you'll bear with me. But in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, we read of what happened after they crucified Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, there in verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the what? The stone. And he sat on it. (laughs) Samuel took a stone and he sat it upright. Joshua took stones out of a river and sat them and stacked them. And an angel descended from heaven, kicked open the stone off the face of the entrance and sat on it and said, let this be your clue. Let this remind you that thus far we have come by God's help. This tomb is empty because God has raised his son. He ain't in there. The rest of those verses say you can go look and then go tell the disciples. But this tomb is empty and God opened the door that was a stone and sat on the stone to commemorate that for all time, for all creation, he is alive. If you need an Ebenezer stone, there's an empty tomb with a stone rolled away from it to remind us that God loves us. Man, I know COVID has been hard. I know this Delta variant coming back around. I know the economy's crazy. I know we're divided as a country, Democrats and Republicans and blog posts and commentators and Fox News and CNN and theological debates and doctrinal debates and denominational debates. and But I want you to remember that God has proved his love for us. Even in the midst of all this difficulty, even in the midst of all this trial, people have been losing their fathers, people have been losing their wives, there is tragedy around us, but don't forget the Ebenezer Stone. While we were yet sinners, God proved His love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The perfect for the imperfect, the unrighteous Saved by the righteous. And there is a stone that was rolled away so that we might remember that no matter how bad it gets, God's already proved His love to us. Let us look at our own personal Ebenezers. Let us look at this church that God has sustained and trust that even though 150 years, God has brought us this far. He will safely bring us home. You see, the Ebenezer stone wasn't just about what God had done, but it was looking forward to what God will do. And the stone rolled away from the tomb, not just to prove that the tomb was empty, but also to remind us He's coming back. We have our own Ebenezer stone. The Lord will sustain His church. The Lord will sustain you. Trust in the Lord and commemorate what He has done. And so the last thing I want to leave you with this morning is maybe you can't commemorate what the Lord's done in your life because if you're honest with yourself, you don't really know the Lord. You can't set up your own Ebenezer stone because you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You can't say God's brought me this far. It's only by God's help I've made it this far because you don't acknowledge that God's the one that brought you thus far. If that's you this morning, would you please give your life to Jesus? Trust in Him and in Him alone and set up your own monument to say, I will remember what God has done for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You that even if you never did another good thing for us, you have been so much better than what we could ever have hoped for. So much more kind and loving and merciful than we could have ever hoped. God, we ask that you would help us to commemorate your mighty deeds in our church and in our own personal lives. Help us to set up markers in our mind to remember how faithful you are to be like Israel and put away all our false gods and worship you and you only. God, we love you so very much. We thank you for how you have loved us. Lord, if there is anyone listening to the sound of my voice that needs to set up their very first Ebenezer stone this morning, would you draw them unto your presence today? We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ.